Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, If we have not met, uh, my name is Josh Gardner. I am the minister to students here at Flourishing Grace. So if you have a question about fall retreat, you can come find me uh, after. I'll be hanging out in the lobby. Um, But I'm excited to get into this series uh, with you guys uh, this morning, Um, especially because these two verses, um, when uh, taken wrong, in the wrong context, can actually cause us a lot of grief. Um, And that's not Paul's intention at all. Uh, Paul's intention in this is actually to be an encouragement to the Philippians and an encouragement to us as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, when we're talking about Paul's indestructible joy that he has and the indestructible joy that he's talking about that the Philippians have and how he wants them to have it even more in Jesus, uh, this is one of the avenues in which he does this and sows this into our lives. And so, we're going to spend a few minutes at the beginning here kind of working, uh, working through a wrong idea of this verse. Um, now, for some of you, you might be thinking, uh, like, I might say the wrong idea, and you're like, never thought that in my life. But I guarantee you that people around you, if they've grown up in church or not, know anything about the Bible, maybe heard, you know, everything that they've heard from the Bible might be, uh, you know, written on a cross-stitch pillow um, or you know, said in, on like uh, Instagram posts and things like that. Um, but this is one of those things, in all seriousness, that uh, really hurts us if we don't get it right. Um, and so I'm excited because I think what God has for us in this is so good and right and amazing for us as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, uh, my hope is that through this you would see uh, why those in here that are followers of Jesus are. Um, and that you would turn to him. Um, so the first thing that I want to point out in here is that in these verses, Paul says work out, not work for, right? So Paul says work out, not work for. And what we end up doing a lot of times in this is we, um, we still say work out your salvation, but we change the definition of work out to work for, uh, Right, like we act as if what Paul is saying here and what the Bible says as a whole is that you have to work your way to God. Once you do enough, uh, once you get to a certain place, then God will accept you and save you. Um, And the reality is that that's not what Paul is saying here at all. It's actually the opposite of what he's saying in a lot of ways here. That Paul isn't saying that we need to earn our salvation. Like John was saying even earlier, that we can actually rest we can rest in what God has done for us because he has worked it in. So we don't, it's not work out. Um, we don't work out, or sorry, it's work out, not work for. And, and we can see this if we look in context to what's going on here. So what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit and read um, some pieces of Philippians to see the kind of the arc of the whole letter and then look at some other places in which uh, Paul is speaking where we can see that this just isn't true. So Philippians 1, 6, Paul says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Here he says, he who began a good work in you. 
right? Not, I am sure that my work will prove in the end that I'm good enough here. What he's saying is, no, that in, I am sure that what he has done, right, of what Jesus has done, the death and resurrection of Jesus is what I rest in. In Philippians 3, if we go ahead of where we're at, Philippians 3.12, Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So in this, he's talking about obedience to Jesus and pressing into what God has for him and suffering and different things like that. But in this, at the end, he says, because I do all of this, because Jesus has made me his own. And, and I love how all throughout scripture we see this, that God is, uh, God makes us his own, that he goes, he does all the work to bring us to himself, right? Just like we were talking about before in worship, as a worshiping God, how we're reminding ourselves that God brings us from enemies to heirs, right? He brings us from, from people outside of the kingdom of God and actually enemies of him to sons and daughters, and he does this. And now, now there's actually also this kind of possession. He possesses us. Like he holds us. He takes care of us. He is with us always. In other verse, or in other letters that Paul writes, he says things like this. In Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I feel like we can't say it any clearer than that. Right, that grace is freely given by faith, believing in the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's a gift given freely to us. If you could earn grace, then it would no longer be grace, right? Your boss giving you a paycheck every two weeks or whenever you get your paycheck is not grace. You earn that junk, you know what I mean? Like you put in the time, you put in the hours, maybe too many, maybe not enough. I don't know your life, but you put in hours and you got a paycheck for that, right? But this is not what it is. It's not working to receive. It's a free gift that's given to us so that no one may boast. None of us in the room who are followers of Jesus sit here and go, are able to go like, man, God's so glad that I'm on his team. Like, he's so, and he's so glad. No, if we all believe in Jesus, we're like, why? Why in the world does God want me, right? But he does. He delights in you. He wants you, and he's shown you that in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then lastly, and there's way more than this. I had to pare it down because we, we could spend the whole sermon just, just talking about this. But lastly, I want to point this out to you. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying everything, every part of his life, every part of his life is balanced on, is founded on what Jesus has done. Everything. It's the gift that's been given freely to him in Christ. And so coming from that point, uh, we can see what Paul is saying here now. That Paul is not saying that we need to work for our salvation. What he's actually saying is that we need to work out what God has worked in, right? So we need to work out what God has worked in, that God has saved us, given us his Holy Spirit, 
And like, if we believed in him, he saved us, given his, us his Holy Spirit, he's, he's put the new self in us, and now the Christian life, the rest of the Christian life is actually us working that into every crevice of our lives. So just real quick, theology nerd time, uh, just for a second here, because it's fun for me, maybe not for you, but uh, you have to think of it this way, okay? When Jesus, when we believe in Jesus and we're saved, in that very moment, we're justified. We, we call it justification, that God, the Bible actually says that Jesus takes our place, right? But not only does he take our place, but he actually gives us his place with God, which is righteousness, his righteousness, his right standing with God. And that happens in the moment of faith. In the moment of faith, we are justified. We are made right forever. It's done. It's finished. But here's what's amazing is now the rest of the Christian life, our life, we are in this mode called sanctification, okay? Sanctification. And really what sanctification means, big word, okay? But it really just means us becoming more like Jesus, right? This process of us becoming more like Jesus. God pulling out things in our life that are not good for us. Like, they just aren't. And then sewing new things in. What, what I love to think about is this, that in the process of sanctification, in the process of God making us more like Jesus, that he is sewing in pieces of Eden. Like, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, I love reminding our students of this because I think it's, we like just don't think about it enough. In the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God. Like, he walked in the cool of the day with them. Insane. It was perfect. There was harmony. The animals, like the lions weren't going after the, the lambs, you know? Like people were hanging and chilling out with, they were, they were just laying down next to these beasts that would kill us today if there was a you know, rhino right here. We wouldn't want that. Or a moose. Let's be more real. A mo- if a moose busted in, we would be scared, okay? But that's not what happened. There was harmony. There was perfection. And then because of our disobedience, Sin is brought into the world and destroys and destructs and separates us from God. And what God is doing in sanctification is he's made us a new person, but now into every part of our life, he's sowing those pieces of Eden back in. So that in everything you do, the gospel is massaged into everything. And it actually overtakes everything. So your job, your, uh, your, your, just when no one's looking what you, what you think and how you act with your, your parenting, with your life, with your, your uh, spouse, with uh, how you drive and how you treat other people on the road, amen? Uh, with, um, with all these different things that God goes into and permeates all these different things. But I think it boils down to this, and this is what Paul is getting at here, um, is it boils down to, to something specific. I, I want to read it for us before we get started. We, we have to look at the context of where we're at in, uh, in this passage. Um, I promised myself I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, in verse 12, Paul starts off with the word therefore, okay? And if you know this, you might. You might be smirking already. But if you see a therefore, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore yeah, great, good, okay? Some of you are like, what? Well, now you know. You have to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, okay? And I know, stupid, but you'll remember it, and it'll help you see scripture in context. So here's what I want to do, is I want to go back to verse three, and I want to read everything, basically, that we read last week, okay? 
All right, so go back in your Bible to verse three of chapter two. And we're gonna kind of nestle what Paul is saying in this. So he says this, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself, than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so this is what Paul is kind of, so then it says, therefore, and we move into what we have, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now obey, and then working out your salvation, all those things that we just read before. So, what he's specifically talking about here is the work of Christ, what Jesus actually did. Jesus is fully God, right? John 1, we see that God in the beginning, uh, or the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is in the beginning with God because God is a, uh, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. Jesus was not formed later on. Jesus is not a different God. He is God who's created all things. And then he humbles himself, he humbles himself to the will of God the Father and to save us, right? And in, he took on the form of a servant of us. He lived the life that you and I could not live and then died the death that we deserved. And in all that, he humbled himself and obeyed the Father and he put himself under the authority of the Father in that. And so what Paul is saying in this is now because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has done in you, now, because of that, go and, if you believed in him, now imitate him. Imitate what he's done. Not so that you can be saved, but because what Jesus has done has actually shown us what God has designed us for. Right? And so Paul is getting at this idea of being humble, being obedient to what God has said and who God says we should be, and submitting everything under his authority in our lives. And this is how we allow sanctification to work in us, by submitting ourselves to the lordship of God over everything in our lives. So I say this to students all the time, it's, it's what Jesus says about everything goes, right? Like, whatever Jesus says about sexual ethic goes. It doesn't matter how you feel. If Jesus, whatever Jesus says about how you should steward your time goes. What Jesus says about how you should steward your money goes. That's how it goes because you know, because he saved you and you know that he has what's best for you in this. And here's the reality. There's hundreds of different implications for this, for sanctification. There's hundreds of different implications, probably more than that, thousands of different implications for, for working out life-changing salvation that God has brought into your soul, um, into every aspect of your life. But I want to simply put it for you 
in this. Salvation, working out your own salvation is simply this. Following the example of Jesus, Jesus has given us a pattern for obedience. He has shown us what humble, other-focused, God-glorifying obedience looks like. So we follow after him. Now, I want to say this, and I'm going to get to it in a second, but I feel like some of you might be like, okay, Josh, wait a second. This is not our work alone. God does this through his power. We're going to get to it, okay? So if you're about to get the pitchforks out, just wait a second, okay? Um, but Paul also says this in Romans 12, too. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right, so this is the Christian life. That, that what God has worked into us, the gospel, that we would work that out into every aspect of our lives. And in doing so, we work out the things of the world out of our lives, right? Um, that we work these things out of our lives and we work the gospel into everything that we have. Um, I couldn't leave you uh, without a Charles Spurgeon quote, so here we go. Um, but he says something really great about this passage, which I guess we could probably say about everything, but that's okay. Um, Charles Spurgeon, when talking about this passage specifically, he says this. He says, the Holy Spirit in regeneration or salvation, moment of, of salvation, uh, descends into a man and creates in him a new nature. He does not destroy the old that remains still to be battled with and to be overcome. Though the nature which the Spirit implants is perfect in its kind and its degree, yet it is not perfect in its development. God, having first worked it in, becomes the business of the Christian life to work out the secret inner principle till it permeates the entire system, till it overcomes the old nature, till it in fact utterly destroys inbred corruption and reigns supreme in the man's every part as it shall do when the Lord takes us to dwell with him forever. Understand then, it is not at all to the work of Christ. It is not at all with regards to the pardon of our sins or the justification of our persons that Paul speaks, but only with, the regard, only with regard to our inner spiritual life. So Spurgeon here even says this is not about salvation. It's about what God is doing after salvation in us. But Here's what I want to point out in this, is this is what God is doing in us, that the Holy Spirit is given to us, that he dwells with us, that we are actually called temples of God, that he dwells in us, if you're a follower of Jesus. And so he wants to move in you and through you to root out the sin that's in your life. Right, we just, in a moment, or a few moments ago, we, we every Sunday, we spend time confessing our sins and God wants to root those things out of you and replace them with, and sow in these pieces of Eden. Right? This is the work that he wants to do in you. Um, and this is the business, this is the work of the Christian life. The hard part about this is that it is the rest of our lives. Um, and sometimes, especially in the world in which we live in uh, now, where everything is like available in a moment, right? Like some of you, if you needed something, you could probably order it from Amazon and be at your house before you got there, which is kind of scary, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, um, but we have access to everything in a moment. Um, and the reality is sanctification takes our entire life. And I think there's beauty in that. Because, again, 
we have this like idea of a perfect preferred version of ourselves, right? Um, and it might be, you know, in your job or, um, you know, how you look or what, what you, just different things. It could be a lot of different things. And a lot of us, if we're honest, if we could snap our fingers and make that happen in the next minute, we would, right? We just like, we want these things instantly, but God is prepared to, to spend time the rest of our lives working these things out with us. And I think there's beauty in that because he doesn't get frustrated. He's not mad. He's not upset. So maybe you're in a place this morning where as you were confessing, you're just like, man, I, I kind of suck. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not a good Christian. Like, I, I know that Jesus died for me, but I, this is, ah. Uh. And like, what I want to say to you is there's encouragement in this because guess what? God knew whatever season you're going through. He knew every single sin that you were going to commit after you became a follower of Jesus, and he still saved you. Praise God. Praise God. How amazing is that? And God has not given up on you. He wants to work in you for the rest of your life for your good and for his glory. Praise God. But this takes time. It's difficult. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, Tony Morita, uh, he's an amazing preacher, professor, um, theologian, pastor. He, he says this about this passage, and I think it's helpful for us as we move into our next section. Um, he says this, we can't take a pill or eat kale and automatically turn into a perfect sanctified, or perfectly sanctified individuals. Um, we must work out our salvation every day by the grace of God. This is the challenge. This is a challenge, a long obedience to the same direction. We live in a fast-paced, fast-food, microwave internet culture but sanctification is a slow process. We are often drawn to mega conferences and, and flashy events, but God has called the Christian to the day in and day out process of growing in Christ-likeness. It's easy to show a spark of enthusiasm at an event. It's quite another thing to live faithfully and consistently when no one is watching and when no one cares. May God rekindle in us a passion for ordinary obedience, day, day to day, following the pattern of Jesus. This is what God wants to do in your life for the rest of your life. Day in and day out, he wants to transform you, to humble yourself, to obey the things that God has sown into you, that he wants to work into every aspect of your life. Now, how does he do, do that in us? I think that's, that's kind of solved in our next section here where uh, at the end of verse 12, um, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, this is also a part of this passage where people take this out of context again, where they're like, oh, fear and trembling, okay, that must mean that I can lose my salvation because, okay, if I'm supposed to be afraid and uh, worried that if I, okay, like people take it again, uh, work for, and then add the trembling and fear, and they're like, oh my gosh, I, if I don't do the right things, then God's going to be mad at me and I'm going to lose it. And then it's just all gone. And, and that's not what Paul is saying here at all. Because of the next section, or because of that second section in, in verse 13, where it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What Paul is saying here is, look, the work of sanctification should have some weight to it. It should be weighty in your life. Because God's power is at work in you. 
Like God is moving in you and through you to root out sin and root in these pieces of Eden, himself, the kingdom of God, to root these things in. And it's a powerful and crazy thing. But also this, that we as followers of Jesus recognize what sin has done to us. Not just like to ourselves individually, to our world. That sin has wrecked and ravaged everything. And we know that sin is not something that we just kick around and play with. Or we shouldn't. Because sin put Jesus on the cross. Our sin, my sin, put Jesus on the cross. He had to die so that I could be brought back to him. So there's weight to our sin. But in the same vein, God has more power over sin. And that was clear and done Like, we can see that because of Jesus, right? He didn't stay in the grave. He rose again, defeating death, showing power and victory over our sin. So God has more power than our sin. But this should give us weight. This should have us walk with fear and trembling. When when we think about the word fear, I also think about this. It's not as if God is the boogeyman under our bed and that we should, like, freak out when, when he jumps out, that's not what the fear is here. When we see fearing God in scripture, I think of things in the wisdom literatures where you, where you see um, like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says like, you know, Solomon, who's one who pursued everything that you could ever pursue. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, go read it. The dude was insane, okay? He had more money. He had more everything. Like it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And yet, The last thing he says in Ecclesiastes is at the end of everything, all has been said, fear God and keep commandments. This is the whole duty of man. That's what he says, right? And what he's saying in that is not be scared of God, but he's saying, no, God is the most powerful one. He has created everything. And we deserve his wrath, but at the same time, he's the only one that has saved us and can save us. And so we can have an awe and a reverence and a a wonder for who God is and what he has done and what he can do in our lives. And so in your life, how this works out into your life is when your boss asks you to fudge the numbers because you got a quarter coming in, end of the quarter coming up and hey, we just need to look a certain way, that there's actually weight to that. That it's not just like a, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do that this time. No, it's, it's not, because there's sin in that. I'm, I'm being dishonest. I'm lying in this situation. I'm not being a person of truth. But God has power working in you with the ability to say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. I'm actually, gonna, I'm actually going to tell the truth in this. And you have power to do that, even though that might mean your boss fires you. Right? Or when you're scrolling on Instagram and things pop up and your temptation to look and to take hold and to turn things into objects, turn people into objects that you should not. A person that God loves and cares for and calls his son or daughter and objectify them. There's power at work where God is saying, no, 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 I want to sanctify you from this. You don't need this. And that person is mine and I love them. Right? In all of these different areas of our lives, God's power is at work and it's beautiful, but it should cause us to have a little bit of fear, have a little bit of weight to what we're doing, right? Uh, uh, In uh, Colossians 1, Paul says this, uh, when he's talking about sharing the gospel with people, but I think it applies to here as well. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is doing a work. He is working in this too. He's toiling, but he's toiling with God's power in him, not his power alone. That God is at work in him and Paul is still part of that. And this is what I love is that God wants to partner with us in this. Sanctification doesn't happen like this where we just like lay on the ground and like go like this and we're like, hey God, just change me. You know, we like maybe twinkle our fingers a little bit. That's not twinkling, whatever. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't just sit there and by osmosis become more like Jesus, right? What we do is as we walk through life and things come up in our lives, these are moments where we can trust God in that and, and by his power overcome temptation in our lives and allow him to sow things into us. And here's the beauty here is what Paul says here is that God does this in verse 13, for God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He does this both in our work of obedience, but also our will, right? He does this in our desires to do it. God doesn't want us to just be like drones that are just like, okay, yes, I'm going to obey what God says and like hate every part of my life as I do it. No, God actually changes our desires to fit his, to fit his right desires. And, 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 and this is a good and right thing that happens to us. And I know I, I've had this question before, so I just want to address it. Um, because sometimes what we end up thinking is we're afraid for God to change our desires because we're like, well, then will I be a different person? Like, is God going to turn me into something that I'm actually not by changing my desires? And my answer to that is, is no, because our desires are not who we are. Our desires are not who we are, and God is actually rooting out desires that are not good for us and rooting in good desires. You know, so like recently, um, like I've had things in my life that, uh, people with authority have pointed out to me, hey, uh, you can't eat these things anymore. You can't do these things anymore. You love fried food. You can't eat those things. Or you're, you're going to walk down the same path that all of your, all of your uh, like the, the men in your family have walked down. And it's not gonna be good. And so I had to, in that moment, choose to obey the authority over me and say, okay, I'm gonna make some changes, right? And in the moment, at the beginning, did I like that? No, not at all. But now I've actually, as I pursue those things, because I know they're better for me than what I have been doing, God has actually changed my desires in that. Um, and I know that those things are good and right for me because as I've approached it, I've said, God, I want to steward my body for, for you, for your service. And so would you, would you change my desires in this? Because I don't want to work out and I don't want to meal prep and I don't want to do that stuff. But God has worked in me those desires. And now, yesterday, I wasn't able to do some of those things, and I was actually mad because I wanted to. Like, am I a different Josh Gardner? No. None of you would say that. I wouldn't say that. Right? And this is what God does. That's a stupid example of that. Maybe silly, but God does this even more where, where he sows in good and right. Again, these pieces of Eden, these things that we were actually designed for, he sows those desires into us, and it's good and right. The last thing that we see here is that God delights in this work. We see that God actually delights in this work. Verse 13, for it is God who works both to will and to work, uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God delights in this. 
I had mentioned, hinted at it before, but God enjoys the work of working with you for his good pleasure, or uh, working in you, work, uh, my gosh, God enjoys the work of working into your will and working into your work and working out what he has put into you into every part of your life. He enjoys this. It's for his good pleasure. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that the will of God is your sanctification. And I always tell people that because people around my entire life have always asked, what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? And they don't want this answer. Like they're looking for like a very specific thing, right? You all know, you've probably thought that. But like at all times, we can think to ourselves, this is one of the things that God gives us. It says, no matter where you're at in life, I want your sanctification. I want you to be growing more like Jesus at all times. And I delight in it because I'm sowing things into you that you need and that you want. Um, something really cool recently, uh, one of our students in our student ministry, Jeffrey Benson, had a birthday a couple months ago. And him and his brother and his cousin and, and all, a lot of his friends are into scootering. Like, but okay, I'm not talking about, like, for me, scootering was like going down a hill like this, like, and that was it. Like, and if you got down the hill, you were like, yes. You know, um, they're like on these half pipes, like doing these crazy tricks and like landing them, okay? You can look it up, it's insane. Um, they're super into this. And they have this guy, uh, a, young, a young guy who's a professional scooter, I guess that's how you'd say it. I don't know, skater? I feel like he's still a skater. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he's a Christian. His name's Cody Flom. Uh, he's a Christian. He uh, skates for this, uh, scoots for this, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, you guys. He skates for this Christian uh, line of scooters that have like Bible verses on them. And he's very honest about his relationship with Jesus everywhere he goes. Super cool guy. Well, Jeff Benson, Jeffrey's dad, was working in California, and he was a couple hours away from one of Cody's uh, competitions. So he goes to Cody. He's like, hey, man. He goes to the competition, finds Cody. He's like, hey, if I bought one of your scooters, would you deliver it to my son for his birthday? I know. That's insane. It's a couple hours away. You know, would you do it? And Cody's like, yeah, of course I'll do that. So the... So, so Jeffrey, like, uh, Jeffrey and the whole family are coming out to California around his birthday. So, so Jeff sets this up. Cody drives up with the scooter, knocks on the door. At the door, Jeffrey answers. And he's like, hey, man, I'm Cody Flom. He's like, yeah, I know who you are, dude. And he's like, hey, uh, let's build this scooter together. Like, he doesn't just hand it to him. He goes, hey, let's build this together. And Jeffrey's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So Jeffrey does it. They build the scooter. Then Cody's like, hey, man, hold on one second. Let's look hey, there's a skate park like 10 minutes away. Like, let's go skate for a couple hours. Jeffrey's like, what? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. I would love that. And so he goes and he skates. And all of that, Jeff didn't ask him to do any of that. All of that was to the delight of Cody, right? Cody was like, I just want to see this kid smile. I, have no, I don't know him from Adam, okay? I don't know this kid at all. But I just want to spend time with this guy, who, like this kid who just loves spending time or wants to spend time with me, right, in that. And, and here's the deal. In all of that, if Cody handed the scooter to Jeffrey and said, hey, let's build it, even if Jeffrey didn't know how to build a scooter, would it have been built? Yeah. Why? Because Cody Flom knows how to build a scooter, right? So it would be built. And then when Cody says, hey, man, let's go to the skate park and do some tricks, even if Jeffrey does not know how to do tricks, which he does, we know this, I've seen him do it, it's insane, 
he would still be coached by Cody and probably learn something in that time and have a wonderful, amazing day still, right? But here's the deal. If Cody says to him, hey, I, uh, let's build this together, and Jeffrey's response is, no, I'm good. I don't want to do that. The day just stops there. Or, or if, if Cody says, hey, man, let's, let's go skate, and Jeffrey goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. The day just stops there. It's done, right? And I think this is a lot of what's happening to us. Like, God wants to partner with us in this sanctification, but he, we, there's some participation from us that needs to happen, right? A lot of times we get scared when we talk about this because we start to go back into works-based salvation, like where we think obedience and grace are opposed to each other, but that's not really true. There's a Dallas Willard quote, quote that we say all the time here, and I didn't have him put it up because I wasn't going to say it. I'm going to say it anyway, but it says grace, uh, Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Right? Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning, meaning that God gives you everything, but then in this, he's asking you to partner with him and work it out. Also, in grace, like, we have to believe in him. We have to have faith in him and trust in him. And so it's not just like void of human responsibility. There is partnership that's happening here with us. But also I was thinking this as I was kind of like thinking through the story of Jeffrey and Cody. Why did Jeffrey say, yeah, dude, let's do that? Well, because he wants to be like Cody. I mean, like Jeffrey's an aspiring scooterer. Actually, every time. Next week, uh, Cody is uh, at this uh, competition in Arizona, and Jeffrey's gonna compete in the amateur part of it, right? Like, he wants to be like this Cody guy. He wants to be like him. And the question I was thinking about in this is, do we want to be like Jesus, like Jeffrey wants to be like Cody? Like, that's a real question. Like, in every part of our lives, in our work, in our, in our, in our work, do we say, and I want to have the honesty and integrity of Jesus, so God, would you make me that way? In my in my marriage, God, I want to have the love, the love of Jesus and the responsibility of Jesus and the, the, the humility of Jesus. I want to be like my Savior in these things. And, and I don't say that to like beat you up or beat myself up. Like I, I don't say that at all because, um, because the beauty, beautiful thing again is that God is at work in us no matter where you're at, but I think it's a good question for us to ask. And for some of you, I think here's maybe what's happened, is for some of you, again, like I said earlier, as we were confessing, maybe you were just thinking, man, I'm like not good at this. Like I just go to church, I read my Bible. Like Josh, to be honest, I signed up for the prayer request thing, but I never look at that thing. Like I never actually read it. And you're just like, God doesn't, God doesn't wanna do this in me. That's not true. That's, that's, that's actually a lie. Like, that is a lie. Wherever you are at, God delights in where you're at and wants to work in you and through you for your good and for his glory and for his good pleasure. In Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, let us then, after talking about Jesus being the high priest, Hebrews 4, 16 says this, "Let let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can draw near to God's throne, no matter where you're at. Like I said before, God saved you knowing 
the sin that you would commit. The Bible actually says that Jesus is standing now interceding on our behalf. Every time you sin, he's, he's pointing you and saying, God, I, do not pour your wrath out on them. I have died for them, right? I have washed them clean, right? And so we have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. We have confidence to draw near to God and find mercy and find grace and help uh, in time of need. So we have confidence to face God and ask him to weave these pieces of Eden into our lives, no matter where we're at. And it's beautiful and it's amazing and God wants to do more and more and more. And not just for our lives, but for the people around us, for our kids, for our families, for those that don't know Jesus, that they would turn from working to try to get to God or working to get to something that they hope would satisfy them, right? And that we can actually, with power, walk and say, no, it's not these things, it's Jesus. Turn to him and see the satisfaction that he provides, see who he is and what he's done in my life, not because of me, but because of him. So here's my last thing, just final thoughts, two things I wanna say. It's first this, if you're in the room today and maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, maybe you've read or heard this passage preached that other way or taught that other way for to work for your salvation, here's what I say to you. If you're working for your, if you're working for your salvation, stop it. <laughs> Just stop. Because if you're honest with yourself, you will never get there. And you know that. Like, like we all, if we sit for a second and we think about the weight of the sin that we've committed against God, like it's, it's pretty obvious. We can't get there. And turn to Jesus because he's done it for us. The God of the universe has humbled himself, died on the cross, rose from the dead for you, and there's life because of that. There's hope because of that. And then for those of you in the room that have believed in Jesus, I just want to say to you is work out your salvation in every aspect of your life, into everything. Here's what I love. Paul is, is talking to a group of people that are doing this. And I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I was doing announcements, and as we were talking about the prayer, prayer section, I was reminded in that moment like, that God is at work at Flourishing Grace. Like he's at work in you because I see it in the prayer requests. Like I see it in how you guys talk about your neighbors and your ones and, and your families and what you want God to do in your life. And so in the same way that Paul is saying, keep going, keep pursuing obedience, keep pursuing what Jesus has worked into you. Keep doing that because you're gonna see more and more of Eden. You're gonna see more and more indestructible joy sown into every part of your life. So keep going. Keep striving for growth and humility, for personal holiness, for sacrificial mission by the power of God's enabling grace. All by his power. And do this in community together as you're in your path group. Speak honestly and openly about where you're at and where God is sanctifying you. Where, where the areas of your life that you're having a hard time like wanting him to and asking him to. Those, that question I asked of where are the areas that are, uh, do you want to be like Jesus, like Jeffrey wants to be like Cody Flom? Like where are the areas that you're like, no, I, I don't actually want Jesus to touch that. Like be honest with your pastor about that. Be honest with other followers of Jesus 
and let them walk with you in that. God wants to do a work in us, a beautiful work of sowing pieces of Eden, of sowing indestructible joy into our lives. Let me pray for us to that end. God, I thank you for um, just how you delight in this work. God, that no matter uh, where we're at, um, no matter how we feel even, God, you uh, love us and you care for us and you delight um, in doing this in us. God, and I'm thankful for that because I can beat myself up real good. Um, I can beat myself up to think, uh, and why? Uh, what's the point? It's not, God doesn't want this. And that's just not, that's not true, God. So for those in the room that maybe are thinking that, God, I pray that would you just show them your grace and mercy this moment? Would you remind them of the cross and what Jesus has done? For those who are working for their salvation, would you show them what Jesus has done for them? That they would find full satisfaction, full joy, indestructible joy in him and him alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name.